So good to have you all here this morning. Man, I'm telling you, there are some uh, faces from my past here that good to have Valerie Johnson. And uh, some, for some of you guys remember when we used to have Turnaround Taylor and we would be in the street marching every week, Valerie was in a wheelchair. I noticed that she's here today and she doesn't have a wheelchair and I can't wait to hear her story. So good to have you here today, Valerie. Praise God. And it's good to have Blaine. Blaine... Um, is Joshua and Caleb's friend that they went to Revolution School with up in St. Louis. And so it's good to have all of you here this morning. Amen? Who needs a message guide? If you don't have a message guide, raise your hand, and we'll make sure. Dave will pass one out to you there. He is the appointed message guide passer-outer this morning. Anybody? There's a hand there. There's a hand there. All right. All right, open your Bible to um, Romans chapter 6. We're going to complete our series today that we began uh, three weeks ago, talking about the gospel's greatest gift. We did that on Easter when we handed out the book, God is the Gospel. In the last two weeks, and this week, we've been dealing specifically with The scripture, our base scripture is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it to you. It says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, Paul said, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. This is the essence of the gospel. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. And we talked about why is Christ death Why is that good news? How can death be good news? But Christ died so that we could die with him. Christ was buried. We looked at this last week. The Bible says when when we are crucified with Christ, buried with him, the man of sin is done away with. He's put away. That you no longer be slaves of sin. Today we're going to look at the third aspect which is he rose again, the resurrection. All things new. Jesus says this in the book of Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians, and we're going to look at that scripture a little bit later on. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So this is the gospel Christ rose again. And Christ rose the third day according to the scriptures. Here in, Luke, in uh, Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read the first 11 verses to you. And just read along with me. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you know, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we ask today once again that by the power of your spirit that dwells within us that you would open the eyes of our hearts and open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, if there be any here today that are not trusting in Christ, that you would do as the Spirit of God has been promised to do, that, Lord, you would convict us of our unbelief in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you today to illuminate this word, that it would set us free, Lord, from the bondage of our minds, and that, Lord, even as you said yourself, he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Father, we thank you for that promise and that declaration. In Jesus' name, amen. So Christ rose again. This is the gospel. And Paul, as he's writing to the Romans, he, he declares this, that we are alive to God. Where? Where have we received every spiritual blessing? In Christ. Where are we alive to God? We are alive to God in Christ. So through his death in the cross, we experience his life in his resurrection. Remember, if we don't experience his death in the cross, then we cannot experience his resurrection. There would be no resurrection if there were no cross. Jesus had to die in order for him to be resurrected. We must be crucified with him if we are to be raised with him. And so through his death and in the cross, we experience his life in his resurrection. That is, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life as a new creation. This is what Paul declares us to be in Christ, a new creation. For the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Where? In Christ. It doesn't say some things have become new or most things have become new. Now, that's the way we live our lives a lot of times. We're still living in our minds as though, well, I know some things have become new, but not everything has become new. That's not what the Scripture declares. Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, you might not have comprehension of all things becoming new. But just because you don't comprehend it doesn't mean that's not the reality. So are we going to believe what we can comprehend? 
Or are we going to believe what the scripture declares, even though we may not fully comprehend it? What does the what does the scripture tell us? What did Jesus say would never pass away? My words will never pass away. They're eternal. Are we going to believe the eternal word? Or are we going to believe our hearts and our emotions that are like roller coasters that change like the weather changes? No, we need to believe the scripture. We need to trust the scripture even when my mind is telling me something else. My heart is telling me something else. I must believe and trust what this word declares. And this word declares that something real has happened when we come to be in Christ. Something real, something true indeed has happened when we are born again. Sin has been put away. The old man has been put away. I am a new creation. All things have become new. I don't believe that because that's what I see as reality or, or that's what I discern as reality. I believe that because that's what the Scripture declares to be reality. Amen? So we need to renew our mind according to what this Word says and not according to what the newspaper says or my banker says or my landlord says or whoever is talking to you and making you believe contrary things. Now, I'm not telling you to deny reality. Reality is reality, right? But truth, truth transcends the facts. The fact is, you might have a real problem. The fact is, you might be walking through a real trial and a real tribulation. Deal with the facts, but understand the truth. That the purposes of God, the will of God, the life of God in you, what God has done through Jesus Christ, transcends all of these things. And this is why when we read the accounts of the early church, they could go to their deaths with a smile on their face. Because they knew the fact was, Caesar is getting ready to kill me. I'm going to get eaten by wild animals, but the truth is, I fear no man, even though he has power to harm my physical body, because I am held by the one who has power over my soul, and he has redeemed my soul. And he has taken me out of sin and death, and he has placed me in the secret place, sheltered under the shadow of his wings, and no one, no thing can pluck me out of that. When I talked to you a little bit earlier about seeing the beauty of the Lord, this is what I'm talking about. Can we go through life not living in denial that we have real issues and real problems? Because we do. But can we go through life in the face of those real issues and those real problems, those real situations? And can we see beyond those real situations and can we see the beauty of the Lord? Can we know that nothing can rob me of what? God has done for me in Christ. That when God took me out of darkness and placed me into the light of His Son, when He took me out of death and placed me into the life of His Son, nothing can rob me of that. Can I see the beauty of who He is, even beyond, in spite of, 
all of the things that might be realities in my life. So Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So Christ rose again. This is good news because he lives, yes. But because he lives, we will live also. This is what he told his disciples in John 14. Let's go there. John 14, verse 19. This is the famous scripture. We always read this at funerals. But it's not a funeral scripture. It's, it's a right now scripture. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He was telling them, hey guys, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. I'm not going to go away for thousands of years. I'm going to go away for three days. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be buried. But I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to defeat the grave. I'm going to defeat hell. I'm going to come back to you having prepared a place for you. And he says in John 14, 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Why? Because I live. And because I live, you will live also. In the day of my resurrection, when you see me come back from death, you will know that I live. And because I live, you will live also. This is why Christ rose again is good news. Because if Christ didn't rise again, then we can't live. But because Christ did rise again, guess what? You can have life today. Where? In Christ. Why? Because he is the risen one. There is no life outside of him. He is the life. This is what he says in John 14, 6. I am the way, not a way, but the way. I am the truth, not a truth, but the truth. I am the truth. Life. There is no life outside of Jesus. And if we are in Christ, we are in life. Because he lives, we live also. I am in my Father, he says. Verse 20, at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That word was not written to us, but it was written for us. And that word is for us today. I am in my Father, you are in me, and I in you. Is Christ in you? Are you in Christ? Are you in the Father? Yes, you are. Now, you're sitting in Taylor, Texas, right? But the reality is, because Christ has ascended and gone to the Father, He has prepared a place for you. That where He is, you that may be there also. He says, I'm going to go and take you to the Father with me. I have prepared a place for you. I've defeated sin. I've defeated death. I've defeated the grave. I'm going to come back. In that day, you will know that I live. And because I live, you will live also. I'm in my Father. You're in me and I'm in you. We go back in the same chapter of Scripture where Jesus says, I'm in my Father and the Father's in me. When you've, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Show us the Father, Philip says. He says, I'm in my Father, and the Father's in me. Now, after the resurrection, there's an addition there. Christ has brought us into the communion of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He has gone to prepare a place for us. That's good news, church. That's why Paul says, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again. Because now we can, be, we can die with him, 
we can be buried with him to what end? That we will be raised with him and live in his life. So you must be what? You must be born again. John 3, let's go there. John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, he ain't even got to the question yet. But it's okay, Jesus knew what the point of what this conversation was about and where it was going. And Jesus cut to the chase and he said, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And here's the principle in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. To be saved, it is our nature that must be replaced. Are you hearing me, church? To be saved, to have salvation, to have life, eternal life become a partaker of Christ, it is our nature that must be replaced, not our behavior that must be modified. I spent a lot of years preaching behavior modification, thinking I was saving people. Really, I was discouraging them more than anything, probably. There's something that transcends, that goes to a deeper place than just our behavior that must be changed. It is our nature. Our nature is determined by what? What determines our nature? Our birth is. Our birth determines our nature. How do we know that? Well, nature tells us that, right? Dogs are dogs because they are what? They're born dogs. Pigs are pigs because they are what? Born pigs. Now, I picked... Dogs and pigs, because Peter uses this example when he says a dog will always return to its vomit and a pig will always return to waller in the mud. Why? Because they're dogs and they're pigs. It's always been their nature. That's what they do by nature. Sinners are sinners because they are born in sin. Born of the flesh. With the nature of sin, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Children of God are children of God. Why? Having been born again of the spirit, they are righteous. Not because they've had their behavior modified, but because they've had their nature changed. They are righteous, having become partakers of God's nature in Christ. So the resurrection of Christ makes it possible for us to be born again in his life and partake of his nature. This is why Christ rose is good news. Because the resurrection makes it possible for me to become a partaker of another nature, another life. And if, if, I, if I'm going to have any hope, that's the only hope that I have. Because I can't work my way there. I can't earn my way there. You know, some of you who truly love your animals, treat them like humans, but the reality is they're not human. They might do a lot of neat tricks. Somebody, 
I knew once had a cat that would use the toilet and flush it. Just like humans do. But you know what? That cat's still a cat, right? So in Christ, in Christ, we partake of what? We partake of his nature. Why? Because what's got to change about me is my nature. We've got to get to the core, the root of the issue. If we try to deal with anything that's above the root of the issue, we're just putting a Band-Aid. It's just window dressing. But we've never got to the core problem. We've never got to the root. You guys ever gardened? And you go out there and you mow over your weeds. You ever notice that when you cut them down, they just grow back? It's not until you do what? It's not until you remove the root that you remove the problem. If you just mow your weeds, you're just going to have nice-looking weeds. But they're still going to be there. This is the problem of our nature. If we just cover up our nature with nice behavior... That doesn't make us righteous. That doesn't make us not sinners. It just puts nice window dressing, but the problem is still there. I still have a nature that's rotten. That is what the Bible calls sin and death. But in Christ, we become partakers of his nature. In his resurrection, we partake of his nature. So 1 Peter 1.23 says, You have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. Wow. And see, we really need to pay attention to words like that. I mean, Peter's not just using nice language because he needs to fill up a Bible. I mean, when he says you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, that tells us something about the seed that has caused us to be born again. It can never be corrupted. That means it can't ever die. It can't ever fade away. It can't ever go away. This is why I believe in eternal security. Because I have been born again of corruptible seed. It's not something I've done. It's something he's done. It's not my life. It's his life. And what is the nature of his life? It's called incorruptible. It's called eternal. That takes me out of the picture here. This is not about me. This is about him it's a powerful statement you have been born again of incorruptible seed second peter 1 4 he says you have become partakers of the divine nature through the knowledge of him through these great and precious promises let's just look at that scripture second peter chapter 1 Second Peter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to come to this word bondservant in a little bit when we go back to Romans. In Romans, this word that's translated bondservant here, you might have a Bible that uses the word servant. But this word is, is really the word for slave. It's not just a servant. It's a slave. What was that movie when I was a kid? There was a TV show that came on about these little kids. 
and they, their daddy was rich. I think Brian Keith was their daddy, and they had this butler. I'm really dating myself now. Is that what it was called? In their Sebastian, what, it, that's a servant, okay? That's really not an accurate picture of what Peter calls himself here. This word for bondservant, this word in the Greek, doulos, is, is a word that it, it is the lowest form of a slave. It's the kind of slave you don't want to be. It even speaks of a slavery in which you are born into. So Peter was born into slavery in his first birth. He was born a slave of sin. By birth, he was a slave of sin. He says, I, Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant, one who has been born into slavery to who? To Jesus Christ. When did he get born into slavery to Jesus Christ? When he was born again. His nature changed. Who he is at the very core changed when he was born again. This is, what he, this is how he describes himself. Now, we don't get this reading it in English, but, but in that culture, slavery was all around him. They understood slavery. And when he says, Simon Peter, a slave, a bondservant, a bondslave of Jesus Christ, these people knew exactly what he was referring to. He was born into slavery to Jesus Christ. Born through the new birth. Just like he was born into slavery to sin in his old birth, in his first birth. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us, you too have been born into slavery. You too are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ if you have been born again. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things. Does it leave anything out? As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. There's nothing left out there, church, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. Remember, this is the same Peter that says you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. You have escaped the corruption. How? By becoming a partaker of the divine nature. You've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. So in being crucified with Christ, our old man of sin is put to death. And the power of indwelling sin is is broken in our life. It is really, your old man is really put to death. It's not a metaphor. It's not something for you to convince yourself of mentally It is reality whether you know it or believe it or not. Your old man has truly indeed been put to death. He's dead. In being buried with Christ, the old man is put away. What do you do with dead things? What do you do with dead bodies? You bury them. Why? Remember we asked this question. Why was Christ buried? Because he was really dead. Why are you buried with him? Because you are really dead. 
We put away the old man, the dead man. Why? That we are no longer slaves of sin. So we put off the old. And putting off the old, we put on the new. If you have been baptized into his death, if you've been buried with him, Paul says you too have been raised with him just as he was raised so that you also can walk in newness of life. As we put off the old, as the old man is buried, we put on the new. Where? In the resurrection. In being raised with Christ. In his resurrection, we are raised in his life. The old man of sin remains dead and buried, and we are made alive in the life of Christ and became the righteousness of God. Did you hear that? We are made alive in the life of Christ, and we have become the righteousness of God. This is the new nature imparted to us where? In the new birth. So righteousness speaks of a nature not a behavior. That should have been a blank. I should have made that a blank for you. So you have to really think about that. Let me say that again. Righteousness speaks of a nature, not a behavior. His righteousness is our nature where? In a new creation. How? By our death, our burial, and resurrection in Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do dogs bark? Because they're dogs. That's what they do by nature. So when the Bible says be holy because God is holy. Is the Bible telling us to work really hard to become holy? Or is he telling us be holy because you have become holy? How? By nature you are holy because you have become a partaker of the Holy One. Holiness is your nature. Righteousness is your nature. We have become what? The righteousness of God where? In Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.21. So we should be holy for the same reason dogs bark, because it's what they do. If we are children of God, if we have been born again as slaves of God, holiness is our nature. And if that's my nature, if that's the root I am growing up from, guess what fruit I'm going to produce? Now, how and when and timing... And here's where we've got to use wisdom and discernment. Because you can look at this in nature. Not all trees mature at the same rate. Not all trees produce fruit at the same rate. But we can say this. If it's an apple tree, the only thing it's going to ever produce are apples. You'll never have to worry about going out and seeing your apple tree producing oranges or lemons. And it's not going to happen. So Jesus says, a good tree will produce good fruit. Now, he, he didn't put a formula or a timetable on that. So this is why the Bible says it's unwise for you to compare yourselves to one another. It's like saying, why can't I be as tall as David Robinson? Well, I'm not David Robinson. God didn't make me seven foot and so many inches tall. He made me who I am. But David Robinson's in Christ and I'm in Christ. We have the same nature. But there might be some differences in level and rate of maturity. But there is no question about the fruit that will be produced in the life of a child of God. Why? Why are we to be holy? Because we are. 
Not because we're trying to be, but because we are. See, that's something you need to reconcile within yourself. This is why the Bible says we need to renew our mind according to this knowledge, according to this reality. You're not trying to make that reality. It is reality, so renew your mind according to that. And if you will, guess what? Your life will produce that fruit. Not because you made it produce it, but because the Spirit in you is going to make sure it produces it. So in Christ, all things have become what? They've become new. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, now I always tell you, figure out what the therefore is there for, but I don't have time, but it's a very important therefore. We know no man according to the flesh any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then this statement in verse 18. Now, now all things are of God. Man, I'm telling you what, church, that is a powerful statement right there. If, if that does not encourage your life, I'm telling you what, you need to get a hold of that truth right there. Therefore, if any man, if any woman, if any person be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. He didn't say... Some things, he said all things. He didn't say just the pleasant things, he said all things. He didn't say just the things I can understand, he said all things. What does this speak of? This speaks of who who is running the show here? Is my hand running the show? Or is my head running the show? When I clap my hands, is it because my hands told my head, hey, we want to clap, so make us clap. No, my hands are clapping because my head is telling my hands to clap. Now, all things are of God. If you are in Christ, I'm telling you what. If you are in Christ, is there anything in Christ that's not of God? Think about that. Are you in Christ or are you not in Christ? Is there anything in Christ that's not of God? Now, I didn't say you would enjoy the storm in the middle of the sea. But Jesus was there with them. Right? I didn't say you, you would just love walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm telling you what, the shepherd is there and we shall not want. He is the God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. But he's not just with us holding our hand. Nuh-uh. He took Egypt, he took Israel out of the land of Egypt by the hand, but he's not leading us by the hand anymore. We are in him and he is in us. We are abiding in him and he is abiding in us. There is no separation any longer. So what I go through, he goes through. Now all things are of God. I never have to worry or wonder whether God is there. If I'm in Christ, not only is he there, greater than that, don't say he's there. Say I'm in him and I can't be separated from him. How do we know? Because this is what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from him. So having been born again of incorruptible seed and raised in his eternal life to partake of his divine nature, we are being conformed to his 
glorious image by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Our lack of knowledge of the finished work of Christ does not change the reality of that finished work. So here's something we need to understand. You can't imitate Christ in the power of the flesh. This is why I read at the beginning of this series, Romans 5.1. We're not justified by the deeds of the flesh. We're justified by faith. So only God can impart the life and the righteousness of Christ to you through faith. Only God can impart that to you. Now you can learn how to imitate Christ, but God doesn't accept imitations. You need to have his life imparted to you. And when that happens, your nature is changed. And having put on the new man, you are being renewed, Peter says, in the knowledge of your mind and conformed according to the image of Christ. Paul says this in, in Ephesians. He says this in Colossians. So having put on the new man, when did that happen? When we were raised in Christ, we were raised in his life with his nature. And now we are being renewed and conformed, renewed in knowledge and conformed according to the image of Christ who created this new man. Remember Ephesians 2 talks about God has now created, Christ created in himself one new man. This is the new man that that we have become. And Paul says that we're being conformed according to the image of Christ who created this new man that you have become through the new birth. So your knowledge of your new life or your new nature, this is what's being renewed, your knowledge of it. It's like I always say, just because I don't understand everything in the algebra book doesn't mean that everything in the algebra book is not true. I mean, I can make Fs all day long in my algebra classes, but that doesn't mean algebra is not true. (laughs) It means I don't have a comprehension of algebra. So we want to say, well, the Bible must not be true. Well, that can't be true because I keep failing. No, the problem is not with the truth. The problem is with my comprehension of the truth. And so God, in his grace, gave us what? He gave us a Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us and to begin to lead us into the things of the truth and to renew our mind according to the truth. And as that happens, we are being conformed to the image of the Son. So all things have become new. Has the beginning, that phrase, all things have become new, has the beginning of its manifestation in the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection in Him when we are born again. Because Christ is raised, listen church, a very member of the Godhead. I mean God. Not a, not a force of God, but God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, because you are born again, because you've been raised in the resurrection of Christ, with the life of Christ, because of this now, a very member of the Godhead has come to reside on the inside of you. We still don't get that. I mean, we live with the knowledge of it. We read it in the Bible. We say, yes, I know it's true, but we don't really have the revelation of it, or we would just, I'm telling you what, it would totally change us and transform us if, if, if we could get the full revelation of that truth. But it's true nonetheless. So because Christ is raised, a very member of the Godhead has come to take up residence in every child of God, not to make them a God, but to make them conformed to the Son of God. 
You don't become a God. That's not your destiny. Your destiny, though, is to be conformed, Romans 8, 29, to the Son of God. And if you have your life in the root, the true root, you will be conformed to the Son of God. How do you know, Pastor Jeff? Because that's what the Scripture promises. So to make us like the Son of Man, the man in the glory, and the effect is that Christ, the Christ in the glory, is now also the Christ within, who is the hope of glory. Remember when Peter and and, uh, John... Peter, James, and John, they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they had they saw Christ in the glory. I mean, Christ became glorified. And here is the glorified Christ up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah are there. And they're ready to build tabernacles and idols to Moses and Elijah and just live on the mountain forever. And God corrects them. It is that man in the glory. It is the Son of Man, the glorious Son of Man that has now come. And he lives in us. This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our hope. And we have no other hope of glory other than that he is already inward. Does he dwell in you? Do you dwell in him? This is your hope. It's the only hope of glory we have. If he is not already inward, you have no hope of glory. If he is already inward, you have all the hope and all the glory you could ever want. Now, I didn't say it's all been manifest. I didn't say that there is a corruption that needs to be shed and an incorruption that needs to be manifest. But the only reason that's going to happen is because of the glory, because of Christ in you, who is your hope of glory. This is the power of the resurrection. This is why Christ rose again is good news. But don't just focus on that because that didn't happen apart from Christ was crucified and Christ was buried. And if we're not crucified and we're not buried, then Christ rose again is not good news for us. Because we can't partake of his resurrection apart from partaking of his death. God's objective is for all in Christ to be conformed to the image of his son. And that standard, listen to me, church, that standard cannot be reached by any energy of ours, but only by all the energies, possibilities, and capacities of the Holy Spirit dwelling where? Dwelling in us. This is why Paul corrected the Corinthians who were majoring on the minors, trying to show off because one spoke in tongues and one didn't and one had this gift and the other didn't. He said, you're majoring on the minors. I see no fruit, which is indicative of no life in you. If you don't have any life in you, your gifts don't make one bit of difference. No fruit, then you've got a problem. So as we have died to sin, let us no longer present our members as slaves of sin, but as slaves of righteousness, as slaves of God, and having been raised in his life as he has made all things new. If that is your reality, if you have truly died with Christ, then you've been freed from sin. Don't present your members as slaves of sin any longer. 
Why? Because it's not your nature. Don't bark at the moon anymore because you're not a dog anymore. Get out of the mud. You're not a pig anymore. You have been born again. You have been given a new life, a new nature. Now live accordingly. God is working in, listen church, he is working in and through our life every day in every way in everything as we walk through this world experiencing the things that are producing in us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is the promise in Christ that all things are of God. That all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And that purpose is for us to be conformed to the image of the Son. And it's not our energy that's going to conform us. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God has promised by His Spirit to do that work. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward is being renewed day by day. You know, when Paul wrote that, Paul didn't write that because he was dying of a terminal illness. Paul was speaking of the reality of the life, the incorruptible life on the inside of us, and the reality of the corruption that is all around us. And he says, our outer man, this outward man is perishing day by day, but there is a man inside, there is a life inside that is being renewed day by day, that is flourishing day by day, not because of the energies of the outer man, but because of the life of the Spirit on the inside of us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's not, that's not uh, an approval to deny the things that are seen. He's just saying, look beyond the things that are seen. Deal with the reality of this world, of this temporal world. You live in it, you deal with it. God has given you the power and the promise that he is in you and you are in him. And you will walk through this world and you are victorious. Not because the world calls you victorious, but because you are in Christ. Deal with the reality of this world around you, but don't get your eyes on that temporal reality. See beyond what can be seen to what is unseen and know that that's where your hope of glory is. It's Christ in you, a Christ you have not seen with physical eyes, but you must have seen through eyes of faith in order for you to know him and to believe in him and to trust in him. And is that Christ in you that is your hope of glory. This is the eternal that we are looking to. This is Christ who is eternal. That we look to. And God works through everything. In our life. Don't compartmentalize your life. Into sacred and secular. Spiritual and non-spiritual. If you're in Christ. There is no. There is not a non-spiritual part of your life. 
you can think non-spiritual thoughts, you can have non-spiritual behaviors, but I'm telling you what, you don't jump in and out of spirit and not. And not. You're in Christ and you're never going to get out of Christ. So what do we need to do? We need to renew our mind to this reality that when I'm working my mundane job every day that I'm bored with, that's not a, a non-spiritual exercise. No, you, that's very spiritual. Because the whole time you're working that job, you're in Christ. And the Spirit of God is in you working, conforming you, working through these things that you think are so mundane. But, but God is using even the mundane things. He's using things we don't even think about. He's using those things in our life to do what? To establish, to work in us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen? That's good news. Let's all stand. And God made that possible.